Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Logistics of Logistics. I interview experts from transportation, logistics, warehousing and fulfillment, the technology guys, supply chain guys, and a million specialized services. And I have two goals for every one of my podcasts. My goal is for my audience to learn something. So I want the listeners to be able to say, I learned something. So I ask real basic questions. I assume not all of us are technologists. I assume all of us don't know about all these spaces. Secondly, my goal is for my expert that I interview to come off well. I want I want you to see and hear somebody who is at their best. I want them to be able to tell their story, share their expertise, and hopefully gain some favorable attention. And who knows, they might even win some business. Today's topic is digital freight forwarding with my friends Gary Nemers and Martin Verhagen. Uh, those guys are executives at a company called Magaya. And Magaya has developed a digital logistics platform specifically for Freight forwarders, 3PLs, NBOCCs, and customs brokers. The freight forwarding process is much more difficult than the over-the-road process because you're dealing with multiple countries, multiple companies, multiple cultures, languages, time zone differences. There's a lot more people involved in the process. It is notoriously difficult, and it's not as automated as other parts of the logistics world until now with my friends Bagaya, what they're up to. So check out the interview with Gary and Martin. They're very knowledgeable, and they are streamlining a process that is in desperate need of streamlining. But before we get to the interview with the guys from Magaya, I want to talk to you about my friends over at Tusk Logistics. Listen up, e-commerce shippers. Listen up, warehousing guys. If you are doing a lot of small parcel shipping, you need to talk to the guys at Tusk. They can save you 40% on your small parcel shipments, 40%. And the way they've done that is they got this great technology and they've connected a number of regional small parcel carriers. You get better service, you get the great technology from Tusk Logistics, and you get 40% savings. Everybody's working with the big guys, UPS, FedEx, USPS, great companies, but Tusk is the only one that's going to save you 40%. So check them out, Tusk Logistics, T-U-S-K Logistics.com. If you go to their website, it says get started, hit that button and save 40% on your small parcel shipping. And by the way, the service is just this is better and the technology is better and you save 40%. It's a can't lose scenario. So how's it going, fellas? It's going great, Joe. How are you? Good. Doing good. So we have two people today. Normally I interview just one. So if I screw up, that's the reason. <laughs> no other reason. So Gary, please introduce yourself and your company and where you're calling from today. Sure. Calling from uh, South Florida. Beautiful, beautiful South Florida. Miami, Doral is where our headquarters is. I'm Gary Nemers. I'm the CEO and also a board member of Magaya. I've been with the company four years. Joined Magaya, coming off another private equity-backed company uh, in Southern California. And the reason I joined was I've been in supply chain logistics for probably most of my career, 25 plus years. And I knew a Magaya and I knew the Magaya platform being founder led from three individuals from Cuba. Great, great gentleman, by the way. And that private equity firm LLR had, um, had, had made an investment, contacted me to be on the board and then, and then moved that into the CEO role to take over the company and transform it and take it to what we're going to talk about today, which is the digital freight platform that that we have that accelerates growth 
you know, throughout the freight forwarding industry by offering modular, flexible, all cloud-based functionality that's designed to optimize and digitize end-to-end logistics and enhance enhance user and and the shippers um, experience with with working with Magaya in our solution. So excellent. So so Martin, how about you? Give us some of your background and when and why did you join uh, Magaya? Yeah, thanks, uh, Joe, for having us. So my name is Martin. I'm the CTO, Chief Technology Officer at Magaya. My background in logistics goes back to when I was about 15, 16 years old, studying freight forwarding in, in Rotterdam, joined DSV for a, small, a short period after that in the Netherlands, right after uh, the whole merger with, between Frans Maas and DFDS happened. And I worked with, uh, with a consolidator out of Antwerp for about 10 years, decided at some point in that, in that uh, journey that uh, I was going to get in technology and, and make things better as a 21-year-old. Right, and, and write my own applications for, for stuff that wasn't getting fixed within the, the company itself. And at some point uh, in 2017, started Quick, which was my startup, uh, which got acquired by Magaya in uh, 2021. Magaya and that acquired uh, the digital fake portal, which we built at Quick as, as, as Quick Portals, uh, which I'm sure we'll, we'll get to in a moment. And uh, from there, uh, here we are today. Yep. You know, I, I always like to cover the basics because the nature of logistics is there's so many over the road guys who know nothing about freight forwarding. And then we had <laughs> we got fulfillment guys who know nothing about over the road. And um, so, Gary, if you could just give us level set us, what is freight forwarding and why do we need that in general? Maybe walk us through like a, a scenario. Well, so so freight forwarding is there are customer shippers are their customers. So shippers go to them and, and, and look to move cargo from point A to point B. So it sounds real simple. <laughs> it's not. It's one of the most complicated logistics um, things that, that, that happen in the industry. Uh, you mentioned over the road and trucking and things like that, like here in North America, that, that's much more simple than it is you know, taking a container from China and shipping it to, to Miami, let's say. So, so the freight forwarders, large and small, there's tens of thousands of them in our, in our ecosystem, right, that, that we serve. And we serve about 2,400 of them right now as current customers. Wow. Yeah, so we've, we've, got, we've got a good number, but it's growing, right? It's growing. So when I came into the company three and a half, four years ago, we had about half that number. So we've, we've done a good job. We're getting the message out. We're, we're moving upstream from the smaller guys to more of the midsize and the enterprise guys. But, but typically, these are companies that are, are reticent in using and adopting technology and have been for a long, long time. And a lot of that is they're, they're family-owned businesses and they're used to just you know fax machines and emails and phone calls and things like that. And, and now the, the younger groups, uh, um, maybe it's family members are coming in, they're saying, we want new technology, right? And, and of course, we're a 20-year-old software company, so it's not new technology, but everything we're doing is cloud-based and is is has a digital front end that, that Martin will talk to here in a little bit. I'm sure that's the, the tip of our spear for for our technology to be adopted by you know, these smaller and larger freight forwarders. Yep, yep. I want to talk a little, for just a second. Then I've got a question for you too, Martin, on this. is When we talk about logistics, so somebody says, well, I'm a logistics guy and I do over-the-road transportation. So I, I might be a carrier and a shipper calls me and says, pick it up at this location, drop it off at this location locations are in the same time zone potentially, if not at least in the same country, right? Right. So it might be three players. There might be the shipper, the receiver, and maybe a carrier, maybe a broker involved, a 3PL. And I'm not saying it's it, it, it's simple, not always easy, right? 
But when we talk about freight forwarding, I, I'm in, as you use the, the Miami example, I say I need, I need some garment moved from a factory in the middle of China to Miami. That means somebody's got to truck it from way out in the middle of China <laughs> to a port. It has to maybe stay in a warehouse. It has to clear customs, has to be loaded onto a boat, has to get across the ocean has to get off that boat, which we found out during the pandemic is not always easy, has to maybe stay in a warehouse, definitely has to clear customs again, maybe has to go all the way from LA to by rail to, to somewhere and then get on a truck and then maybe another warehouse, hopefully not. It's ridiculously complex. We have all these time zones. We have all these different countries. We have all these different companies, languages. It's extremely complex. And so I, when people say, yeah, why hasn't this area had great tech in the past? It's just because the complexity of it, it to get all those players on one system isn't easy. And I, I told you guys before we hit record, my last freight forwarding experience was uh, by fax and with a whole bunch of emails back and forth. And everything was hard about it. You know, getting a quote, getting the, getting the quote seems impossibly hard. Because there's so many prices that get added into there. And then you don't understand all those fees. Then it seems like the tracking, the tracing, all that, customs, everything is hard. So, Martin, talk about how you go about making that work. <laughs> it's de-siloing the, the information, essentially, right? De so, de so when you mean silo, these are all information silos. Everyone's got their own little world. They're all in silos. The, 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 the shipper has some information. The forwarder has some information, right? Then the shipping line has its own piece of information. And it all exists in these, in these different places. Right? But what you want as a shipper or as a consignee or as a PCO is, is to have one view of the shipment, right? Understand where it's coming from, where it's going, where it is, how much it's going to cost you, what you need to do, what somebody else needs to do, etc. So it's taking all that information, getting it into essentially one system or a collection of systems, which is why we're calling it the platform, right? So be that the, the, the initial pricing data about how much it is to ship that container from Shanghai to Long Beach, right? Or later on, you know, the, the, the master bill number and, the, and the, the customs clearance. And then from there, the, the position or the status of the container, whether it's you know, still stuck in the port in Shanghai, whether it's loaded on the ship, whether that ship is on the way, whether it's transshipping somewhere, right? Because it's not all direct. It might go you know, to, to Long Beach, but it might first have to go via Tokyo or whatever, uh, or, or Busan. And then you know, what, what the next vessel is, because you know, oftentimes you don't even know that ahead of time or in, in some cases. So it's taking all that information, processing it in such a way that, that you can tell that sort of end-to-end -end story, right, about the what is essentially physical cargo and, and then presenting it to, to people that need to have access to it in a way that doesn't require them to send a fax or, or receive a fax, right, or pick up the phone and, and call an operator who is at the same time trying to figure out a problem they have with some other shipment, but now needs to answer and find out where the shipment is. So, but because the wants to know. so when you're when I, if I'm using Magaya, are all the players all using the same system? Is that at, on the same platform? Is that the goal? No, I, you know that, that's the sort of the the, the ultimate goal. Um, but again, you're working with so many different parties; they all have different preferences, they all have different budgets, which is also important to, to keep in mind, right? And 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 some and it's about connecting systems. And I think over the last 
10 years, technology has gotten to a point that we've become way better at, at connecting different systems, right? We don't need to send an 80 fact or an XML message anymore to from one system to the other and, and for that to get lost on some FTP server somewhere. We can call an API in, the, in a given system and, and find out what the status is sort of, you know, in real time. Yeah. And now I'm assuming if somebody sends emails, they end up sucked into this system. So into your platform? Uh, in, in some ways, yes. But for example, a lot of the digital fake portal, just to give you a very practical idea, a notification can go out to the, to, to the customer. They can reply to it with some kind of attachment, right? And that gets uploaded and it's available in, in Magai's supply chain for, for the freight forwarder to provide them to customers or whoever it needs to go to. Yeah, because I remember, again, getting back to my own experience as as a logistics guy then as one when I was a, used to be a shipper when I worked in automotive. I just remember back and forth, all sorts of emails. And and then also sometimes faxes. <laughs> we were sending faxes. You know, you had to sign stuff. And then I also remember really struggling to get some of the uh, the the information. I mean, every step of the way. And we'll, maybe we'll get into that in just a second. Yeah, so I know before we hit record, we talked about some of the challenges. And again, I can, I'm a, a neophyte in all this, but I experienced it because when I was running a logistics company, we had to do freight forwarding every once in a while. Man, when we bumped up against that, it was always such a crazy thing. And by the way, one of the things a friend of mine said to me not so long ago, it was a freight forwarding company, he said, when somebody finds a good freight forwarder, they don't leave. They don't. They don't even check prices after a while. And he's a freight forwarder. I won't mention his name. He goes, he goes because it is such a difficult business. You don't look and say, how do I save $50 on my next shipment? How do I save 100 Because they don't care because they've been through some nightmares. And I was like, yep, that, that's all tracks. That tracks for me. <laughs> to, to a certain extent, yes. <laughs> yep. So, Gary, what are some of the challenges that we have? And you, you can give us an overview, and then we'll go through one by one on some of them. What are some of the challenges that have traditionally been there for freight forwarding? It's, well, one of the ones that's come up via the pandemic has been visibility. Where is my cargo? So say that that same shipment leaves the garment, whatever example you use, leaves middle of China, gets on a truck, goes to the port, goes to a warehouse, goes, clears customs, leaves, goes on a ship. It's on a ship to Miami, to New York, New Jersey, wherever. And they want to know where it is. Visibility has become huge. I, I think it was back in May of 2020 or June, summer 2020, it was the biggest term um, Googled on Google was supply chain. <laughs> so so there you go. And it was visibility. It's like, you know, what is supply chain? Where's my toilet paper? Where, you know, I, you, you, we all live through it, right? So I think, you know, that's one of the biggest challenges. It's always been there. But it was it was it was heightened by the pandemic. So visibility is one of them, and we've seen a lot of companies come up with visibility platforms. We have visibility track and traceability in our system, innate built in our system over the years, over the twenty years that the system's been been um, been evolving. And so so that's one of the big challenges, and, and that's one of the things that our, our solution does does satisfy. Another one is I, I alluded to it earlier. I spoke to it earlier about. The younger generation taking over the freight forwarding business. They want technology. They want, but they don't want just tech. They don't want tech that can work on your smartphone or where they want something that's, that's digital. That, that they can go to a, a, a portal, a platform. And we have our digital freight platform now, thanks to acquiring Quick and Martin's company. And that's the tip of our spear. And they want that visibility of all the solutions. So complex you talked about. They want to know, you know, did it leave the middle of China? Is it on the truck? 
Is it at the port? Did it clear customs? Did it get on the boat? Did it get to Miami? Did it clear customs? Right? They want to know all of that step by step so they can tell their customer, the shipper, hey, yes, it is coming to Miami. It's coming on this date. It's on this cargo ship and it's on this container and it's going to be on the dock and it's going to go to drayage and it's going to go maybe to a cross dock situation at a warehouse or to a 3PL and then it's going to get shipped to wherever in the United States. So that's our platform. And that's what, that's what, and I keep saying the younger set, but it's, it's not even that because I, I, I guess that does it wrong. There's, there, there's folks, Joe, like our age, right, that are still running the freight forward and they're going, hey, we need this digitization. We need this platform. We need this visibility. Right, right. And that you brought up a very good point and you've talked about even people our age. But uh, Martin, I'll ask to to bring this to you. Somebody used this term not so long ago on my podcast and I love it. They said, we've come to expect consumer grade technology in logistics. And in the past, I'm, I remember working on old mainframes. I'm old enough. I worked on mainframes where you would have to hit like, okay, you hit F8 control and that takes you to the pricing screen and you have to, you have to hit the space bar across to get over and add your prices. And I remember using that to release parts in automotive when I was an engineer. And I remember never knowing whether I actually released a part. And then you would only know when somebody got a phone call saying you didn't do it right. I was like, oh, how am I supposed to? I went over there. I went to your system. I did what I was supposed to do. And you, no, you didn't go to the, you didn't hit F8 control one. And now if you were to say to someone that, that, that you have to go to training to learn to use a system, they're like, okay, I'll go to a training, but I'm not going to be uh, doing it for eight hours. I think we've become used to our phones and our, you know, Amazon and eBay and DoorDash that's made it so easy that it's intuitive, it's interface is easy to use. I'll, call, I'll just call it consumer grade. So are you guys, I mean, I'm, I know you are, you guys have that consumer grade interface and that consumer grade tech, right? Yeah, correct. And, and it, it, it's not just you know about having the younger generation sort of push this. I think the large part of what I wanted to add there is, is also we're expecting people to do more with less and also we have less, right? There's been a big crunch about finding people for supply chain just to do the job, yeah, right? And so giving them the technology to do their job, if we're asking them to do more, they should also be able to do it faster, right? Otherwise that math doesn't work out. So having that intuition and knowing where to click and knowing that you've done the right thing and not having to go back five times and check is super important, right? And, and, and technology overall and, and software and, Web in particular have come a very long way uh, over over the last years, and user interfaces and user experience design has come a very long way. So giving this technology basically to somebody that you know you get off the street, quote unquote, and I don't mean that in a negative way, right? And and for them to know what to do with it, that's important because the the, the technology shouldn't be the hard part in this industry. There's other things. Are, right. There's a lot of hard things hard. in space. Right. <laughs> so, you know, knowing how to fix an issue is one thing, but then having to struggle with a system to actually get them registered in the right way so it shows up with, you know, your counterparty, that, that, that's the stuff we should be able to fix, you know, easy. And, and, and that's why we're paying engineers, you know, a lot of money. Right. And, uh, yeah, I have a friend who was um, responsible for an area of parts and service. And he when he took over that, it was a very big company. It's a very big company. And 
he said this system for ordering is ridiculous. They have all these distributors and they had all these end customers who had to go in and use this system. And he said, we're going to redesign this. It's just, it's antiquated. And he said to the developers and this team, we're going to develop something that is as easy to use as Amazon. And that's going to be our, that's going to be our North star. And we don't want it to require tons of training. Now, I think they got to a place where they had, you know, I don't know if it was minimal training or, or just, um, you know, an onboarding, but, um, <laughs> get me the IDs, but it was that intuitive. I'm, and I'm assuming you guys have kind of done the same thing to make this. So when their new freight forwarder comes in business, they are like, oh, I don't have to fly to, uh, well, not they're flying to Miami is a bad thing. I don't have to fly to Miami for a month to learn the system. And every time I bring someone new on board, I'm going to have to uh, spend a fortune. Yeah, no, no, our, 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 our training, our tra- sorry, Martin, our training is, uh, is, is very, is very minimal in, in the scale of, uh, complexity uh, that, that other operations complex biz <laughs> yes right so it's, it's it's very simple and I think one of the we, we constantly are talking to our customers the 20 24 2500 customers and we're growing three 400 customers new every year now at this point and we're talking to them and, and they say ease of use right and the user interface is one of the key components besides the functionality and and, and the, the core of the solution how it can help end and solve our business problems it's the ease of use. It's, it's the user experience that, that is really solid about Magaya. If you're talking about the 17 different companies, right, that we started off with that that, uh, that touched that cargo, you can't train every one of them. It's just, it's not feasible. It's not possible. You want your shipper to have access to that data through your portal or your consignee or whoever, or your agent, you can't go and train all those companies because it's literally thousands of people for a regular fresh Right. And if you look at the turnover we've had in this space, it's ridiculous. And... And also, what you, the expectation, if I have to train somebody, I'm training a lot of those people in their second language and in, in a different time zone. It's just, it's too much to ask. So I want to talk about some of the, the other traditional challenges with this business. So we talked about a little bit about the visibility, which, God, we, we went through this time not so long ago where we had all those boats sitting on the coast of California waiting to empty. And I'm not a shipper, but I can imagine what that felt like to say, I'm just watching my stuff stuck out there. And I think that by that time, everybody caught up, you know, my stuff's no longer on the ocean. It's a mile out, <laughs> but visibility is a big problem, but quoting's a big problem. I, I First off, I, it seems as if it's very complex to get a quote in your, as a freight forwarder. Is there like, am I lying to say there's like 10 lines of of fees and I don't you're, know you're lucky there's ten. Complicated than that, and one of the acquisitions we made was of a company called Catapult a couple of years ago, and a rate management company, right? So can provide spot rates, day rates, you know, full on contracted rates, and so forth. But yeah, Martin, talk about the the complexity of uh, it's not ten lines; it's, it's very complex pricing, you know. And, and there's there's so much to it, and that and, and that was was missing from our, our solution set when I came on board four years ago. And and we quickly realized that that's white space and we got to, we got to fill that. We got to fix that. And we identified catapult as a possible acquisition target. And we, and we went ahead and bought them and integrated them into our solution. Uh, but Martin, talk about the technical parts of it. Yeah. It's, it's detailed. Yeah. Cause again, it's 15 people, right? The touch the cargo. So it's also 15 people that want to have a slice of the buy at the end of the day that are going to add a charge that, that, that are going to build the end customer, the one that, once the, the car has to be moved, you know, some amount to have that done. 
So it's not just having the 15 lines, which is one thing, and then you know you can probably just roll that up and provide a quote. That's one line. Uh, although if you're speaking about things like you know LCL or even LTL, you know okay we do it based on the cargo weight that we know now, but if we you know if it heads to the warehouse, it's probably going to be something else. So we want to have that sort of variation in there to do things by weight and volume, right? Which is what sort of complicates a lot of those charges. But but it's again taking what all these people are going to build at the end of the day, right? And making it into one quote because a, a, a shipper or a reseller or a consignee doesn't want to go out and, and ask 15 different parties, right? That's why they're paying their fit forwarder to a large extent, right? They want to deal with one person that, that knows the, 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 the best carrier to use, the best road transporter, the best shipper line, the best air carrier, etc. But getting all that and getting it in real time and getting it up to date, that, that's where our challenge is. Because if your charge change every five minutes, right, and you serve 20,000 trade lanes, just to you know, throw a big number out there, updating those every 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 couple of days is a massive task, right? It's, it's unbelievable and it's, and it's nigh on impossible for most people unless you hire like a BCO that, that goes and does that for you, a, a BPO rather. So the, the, the volume and the, the, the frequency of change and, and the different sort of aspects that come in there that, that are the, the factors that create problems and, and difficulties and, and the way to solve that is, is by providing a strong system that can take all these different edge cases and the different exceptions because we love exceptions in front for and 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 deal with all of those and spit out an end-to-end quote at the end of the day. I want to go from this address in Germany and I want to deliver to this address in, in the US, in, in the Midwest somewhere and you know whatever happens in between it all needs to be in right so that's um, uh, it's a big technology challenge, but but it still requires people, right? There's not a lot of ways for us to aggregate that data, although we've been working on AI to take tariff sheets that that shipping line sends, which are multiple pages and, and you know ten megabytes of, of Excel, uh, and read those in and, and process them and, and feed them into a system, so it can be done within you know, a reasonable amount of time, and it, the rates don't expire before we're done uploading them which was something that you know, used to happen in the past with a lot of companies. Oh, yeah. And and I got to think, like, right now, we had all that stuff, with the, all the log jam on the West Coast. And then, I mean, that was where most of the ocean freight was coming to the West Coast. But from what I understand, in recent months, it moved to the East Coast. And if I'm a shipper, and listen, I'm in the Detroit area, I might say, I, I, want, I want two prices. I want to get a price for it coming out of LA and another one that's coming out of New Jersey. I don't know. Uh, uh, just because it might save me time, it might save me money. And those getting to, uh, two quotes like that in the past when it was manual <laughs> was ridiculous. I remember, I still remember asking for this. It wasn't so long ago asking for quotes and it would take a day or two to them for them to get back to me. And you never expected anything with speed, and you mentioned real time. <laughs> it seems like that's not a word that is used often in the past when we talked about freight forwarding. Yeah, I mean, if you get that quote and the rate has already changed, it's not very useful to you anymore, right? And getting those different options and being able to compare them and attribute your own importance to it being timely, it being cheap. Or it being with a service provider that you know that's not gonna, you know, drop the container and, and and break your cargo hypothetically, right? That 
that matters. Yeah, and we all know, we hear it all the time, you hear it on this podcast, is that uh, we might not be doing as much out of China. Things are going to change. And by the way, that's China's not the last place we'll do business. And hopefully we're not going to, hopefully we're not any of those relationships. But we're always going to be chasing the next country that wants to do business with us. You know, whatever, wherever you're listening from today, you're always going to say, do I want to work with the U.S., Germany, China, whoever I'm working with, we're always going to need those, that flexibility. And that flexibility used to just take time. And time is usually not something we have a lot of. So I want to switch gears. Gary, maybe I'll ask you this. Is, Is the average freight forwarder right now using technology or are they just kind of still doing it the old-fashioned way? The, the, in, in supply chain logistics in total, freight forwarders uh, at any level, especially the smaller guys, are, are the ones that are, are the last ones to adopt technology. They're starting to come around for all the reasons we just talked about. To stay competitive with their, their smaller competitors in whatever market they're in, uh, that's one reason. To provide the experience to their customer, the shipper, right? that's a, a fully automated uh, solution, is another reason. We're also seeing, and we're keeping a close eye on this, Joe, there's the freight forwarding industry, small, medium, and large are involved in, in M&A. And so they're, they're buying companies to gain share. And we've all seen that with banks over the years when they became deregulated. We all saw it with telecom when it became deregulated, right? Banks can only grow so big. Telecoms can only grow so big. You know, they, they lose 100,000 customers one Monday and then they gain 100,000 by Friday from somebody else. And so we're seeing it with the freight forwarders as well, where they're they're, 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 they're able to grow at whatever organic rate they're used to growing, but to grow inorganically, to grow faster, they're, they're inorganically buying other freight forwarders, right? So what, what happens with that, right? The complexity of they're in different regions throughout the world, the complexity of they use different technologies or they use no technology, right? And so they come to Magaya and they see the, 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 the platform that we have. And there are customers, let's say, that's buying other companies. It makes it simple for them to bring the other technologies over, right. do away with those, and become a Gaia customers, and have full visibility through maybe multiple databases throughout their global existence as a, as a new core company that's you know now got gone from you know one or two GOs to you know four or five GOs and, and, and growing. So we're we're watching that closely as well. Yeah, um, yeah. And and I want both of you to answer this, but um, you first, Gary. Is it seems as if we're going to get to a place quickly here where you either using technology and being able to be competitive as a freight forwarder, or you don't have technology and you're not able to compete with the big boys anymore. Here, and we're getting to that, and I say it all the time on my podcast, a place of haves and have-nots. And the haves are going to be much more competitive than the guys who don't have the tech. They are. And, and I think what happens to the uh... The, the have-nots, as you call them, <laughs> they're, they're, they'll, they'll still be in business. There's still, they're still, there's so much work out there, and that's why there's tens of thousands of forwarders across the globe, and especially here in North America, the United States. The have-nots, I think, will eventually get there. But then there's some of those have-nots, Joe, are just small guys or family-owned businesses. They don't care about growing. They don't care about staying competitive. They care about just living their lifestyle business, and that's okay too. And we take care of those guys. And to to my earlier point, and I think you guys probably agree with this, but it's, it's, correct me if I'm wrong. If you have a freight forwarder who doesn't screw things up, doesn't come up with massive overcharges, you're just like, good enough. Because I think most most shippers and receivers have 
experienced a nightmare or two, especially during COVID. So uh, same question to you, uh, Martin, about the, the haves and the have-nots when it comes to tech. Yeah, we shouldn't underestimate how much of the technology has been driven by demands of shippers, right? The shippers have gone out there and said, well, you need to have a control tower for me to track my cargo, or I will not do business with you. I will go to Flexport, or I will go to your competitor, wherever that may be, be it Flexport or not a traditional freight forwarder that has solved that problem. Going back to the Atlas, there's a lot of people operating in niche, niches, right? That, you know, that have 100% of their market in, in some small domain and that's fine they don't need to have the technology because there's nobody else to do business with. <laughs> right. but as soon as they want to grow out of that niche right as if they want to grow their business if they want to start doing other stuff general purpose straight forwarding yeah they'll have to they'll have to have to get it and that's also where sort of the, the, the long roadmap of this of this industry lies right in, in those companies becoming bigger or being absorbed by somebody else and then digitizing as a, as a product of that and integrating all those different systems as, as Gary said, right? There's companies out there that are one freight forwarder in name and in, and in business, but they're using five different systems depending on what region they're in. Right? To get those to talk to each other is, is a challenge. So having them on a single platform that can talk to each other, that has like a network effect, which is something that, that's been in Madaya's revolutionary back then, but, but it's been there for a while, that exchanges shipment data, customer data automatically. That, that's a big deal. Yep. Yep. So they're not necessarily, not all the have nots, the guys who haven't invested in technology are going to be forced for competitive reasons. But what about streamlining, Gary? Are they moving out of the five systems or no systems into systems like yours? Because I just don't like the idea that I have all these clerks here. I know it can be done better. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, we've, we've, we've had some, um, New customers, large and small, that have come in and, and when they've adopted our system and fully went live with our system, for instance, on the accounting side, have done away with four or five accounting and repurposed those people throughout their organization, right? They've done um, with automating their warehouse, uh, have done away with four or five, 10 people, one customer, big customer in South Florida, have done away with you know, a half a dozen or two dozen people in their warehouse and repurposed those people. So it's not just about you know, getting rid of people, right? That's not the whole point here. The point is, you know, spend oh, yeah, you your dollars. Yeah, no, so they repurpose them because they can't find people, right? So it's it's a tough labor market. It has been for years. So so that's what's happening. I think also, you know, this is definitely true of warehousing. I, I know I have daughters, but they were never going, they were not built, <laughs> they were not raised to go work in a warehouse. I think it was great when they were young, they had some of those kind of jobs, but most people will say, We're, this is a well-off country. Most people say to their kid, oh, no, like, take, take a coding class, do this. Let me talk to my buddy. We'll get you a job outside of that. But right now, if you told me, Joe, you have to go take um, a, an entry-level job, I'll go do DoorDash. I'm not going to a warehouse. I'll drive around in my car and deliver food all day, listening to my music, drinking my soda. So I think we have a real shortage of people. And I said to one... To, time when I first started, I'm from automotive. And when I came to logistics, I said, this is an industry that's filled with clerks. And at that time, it was a lot of taking information that I got emailed. And then I would take that and I would do a lot of data entry. And there's companies that are still doing that. And obviously, as the next generation, even older guys like me know that I don't have to do data entry anymore. That should be something that I can connect one system to another and eliminate that 
that function in my company. So even if, getting back to it, even if it's not for competitive reasons, they want to streamline their businesses because they know they can. Yep, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Yep. And let me ask you this, Martin, because you're the techie. Not so long ago, if we had a technology like yours, like Magaya, it would have been wildly expensive. It would have been a huge upfront cost. And I would have to hire a tech guy like yourself, maybe a diva, a guy who now owns my company because <laughs> uh, I have a, an on-premise solution and we get upgrades all the time. It was a painful thing to have it was it was like a major overhaul of my company now i don't have to do that with the cloud base so talk about the simplicity of switching over to a technology like magaya today yeah i'm, I'm, I'm starting to think what it compares to right because i don't think you know if you do, if you talked about the cloud as it exists today 30 40 years ago probably would have been unimaginable to a certain extent Right, that you can start up a service somewhere else without having to have a server or even a computer running, right? And connect your your thin client to it, or your smartphone, or whatever it may be, and you're immediately live with a with a new piece of software that you don't need to install a CD or a floppy onto your computer, right? It 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 reduces the cost. That that's one thing because we're able to. You know, if we provide our own cloud, we provide our machines to our customers. We're able to provide a, to to acquire those in bulk and get volume discounts, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. If a customer needs to buy his own servers, right, they're going to buy those servers. Maybe you know they buy two every five years. They're not going to get you know <laughs> big amount of discounts on, on those from somebody like like Dell or or HP. But it's also it's it's not just that, right? It's 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 security, right? You know, you can get an IT guy and he could probably set up your server, but is he doing it in a way that doesn't allow, you know, somebody in whatever country it may be to hack into your server and, and lock all your files and all of your ransom for a million dollars, right? Because you can't do business anymore. And it's, you know, it's happened to companies small and large and, and you know, it will continue to happen because security is, is difficult, right? And, and it continues to get exploited. It's not something that you could do once and be done and now I'm secure. No. You gotta, it's gotta, it's a process and you gotta keep on moving. And and it's scaling, right? Okay, yeah, you hire five new people because your business is doing great. Great, but now you gotta hire, you gotta buy a new server or whatever, or, or buy five new, you know, expensive desktop computers. Um, the cloud you know, takes so much of that away. It moves a lot of the, 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 the hardware, the, app, the owning of assets to somebody else that can do it at scale, that can leverage those economies of scale. Yep. And I'm assuming they, they, they're using Magaya. They don't need an on-site tech, tech guy to keep the system up because it's running on the cloud. You guys are doing that for them. Right. Yeah. They install our cloud clients. They put in their username and password and their ID, and, and, and they're on the system, right? So it's... Yeah. I, I've said this before on my podcast, but when before we were on the cloud, I remember I remember those giant servers in the building, and there was always somebody who was responsible for those guys. And I'm, I was an engineer, and I remember you would have to talk to them about this, that, or the other thing. And everyone's like, just be nice. He's in a bad mood today. You don't want to piss him off today. I'm like, I'm like you know, he's theoretically support to our group, but not really. Because the company can run without the engineers that day. But if that system goes down, boom, you're out of business. And I, and I remember thinking all the time, like, that's the most important guy in the building. 
because um, he's the one who keeps this Rube Goldberg that we've built. And now with Literally with the cloud the updates, we don't have to get CDs and all that. And again, this is the advantage of cloud computing, but I don't think we could do a system like yours, any freight forwarding system, the old-fashioned way now. It makes no sense. No, it's about keeping it highly available, highly secure, and you know, add high availability in something that you can actually use the cloud service, which is very difficult to do and very expensive to do if you want to do it, you know, in your in your warehouse or in your your server closet somewhere in your building. So again, we're able to pull those resources and make sure that there's a machine that's standby that if, if your server goes down, it can take over and and all that stuff. And that, that's what's important to business today because they're you know the, the, the business is also not like nine to five anymore as much as it used to be. Right? Somebody wants to connect, connect to your website at night and type in their tracking number and, and know where it is. Or maybe they're in another time zone, right? And they're 12 hours away. So it's got to be up and running 24-7. Yep. So Gary, let's just say somebody listens to this podcast, besides my mom, and says, I want, I want to do this. Is this a massive investment? And what is the onboarding? Is this, this going to be... Is this going to be like brain surgery or am I going to be on board relatively soon? It depends on if you're a small, mid-size or a large, large right forwarder. The large guys could take, you know, a matter of months to um, to onboard and to learn the software and, and to implement the software. A typical customer in the SMB space, Martin, is maybe 30, 45 days up and running. From an investment standpoint, we have an ROI calculator that shows a company exactly when they get the payback from the use of our software. So upfront capital is is not enormous at all because it's cloud, it's cloud, it's SaaS pricing, right? So yeah. you can pay on a monthly, quarterly, annual basis, whatever. So the, the upfront capital is, is very minimal uh, to get people, especially in the SMB space, up and running on our solution. Yeah, and I think most of us have had experiences over and over and over again where an investment in technology had a massive return. And... I don't even think we argue that anymore. I think we know that most of the most of the improvement in efficiency and effectivity, effectiveness, I should say, over the last twenty years has been technology. Am I right to say that? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, there's other things that are getting better, but the the boats aren't much faster. <laughs> they they uh, the ports don't move a lot faster. Uh, it's the tech that has made the. So if there's any improvement in the service, it's because the technology's enabled us to go faster, better, cheaper. So I want to talk about the sweet spot for you guys. Who who's buying who's buying your systems right now? Traditionally, the company um, really only was in the uh, SMB space. Uh, we had some limitations on our our um, uh, database of choice back 20 years ago. We spent the last three and a half years and millions of dollars to um, to uh, move to uh, a Postgres SQL database, and that has gone up very well. Wait, um, what, what? What kind of database? So Postgres. Versus, well, it's I think modern versus the antiquated yeah. one picked twenty years ago that was you know kind of an open source uh, database. Okay. So, uh, so but but the re- so ease of use and ease of literally selecting that database 20 years ago when the, when the founders built the, the initial solution limited us to only a couple hundred users, maybe maximum 150, 200 um, on, on a single instance or, or database. And otherwise, the system just wouldn't perform very well, uh, to put it nicely. So 
Uh, we realized back in 2019 when we came on board with uh, private equity and I came in as well that we needed to to change that. We needed to change that to a modern system that would allow us to scale, then allow us to go upstream into the mid market into the larger uh, enterprise uh, freight forward across the globe. Uh, we've succeeded in all that in the past three and a half, four years, spending millions of dollars in time and effort. Uh, our customers are all now on the Postgres database. We have the ability to not only put 100 users on a database, so single instance, we can put 1,000, we can put 2,000, and we're, we're gaining new and larger customers. We'll always be in the SMB space. That's our bread and butter. That's our sweet spot. But as we move upstream now, that's the, uh, the important part as to why we didn't do it in the past and why we're doing it now. Yep. Now, Martin, earlier you mentioned Flexport. They've been on my podcast. So I think they're a digital freight forwarder. And I'm assuming a lot of your customers are saying, oh, boy, there's a company that is, uh, I'll call it digital first Flexport, digital first uh, freight forwarder. Do they feel that pressure to upgrade because of the Flexports of the world? I think to a certain extent, yes. Right. They're they're probably not as worried anymore as they as they were when Flexport announced they had a one billion dollar investment. Right, right, right. <laughs> it was a was a was a shock to everyone and I think you know we've since realized that Flexport is also, you know, a company, right? That that, that does business things and that has its uh, its benefits and its flaws and, and all that comes with it. And same with their technology. But the, there's been a push, right? And and I don't know if, if Flexport was the catalyst or the uh, symptom of that that push that came out of that, because I feel it's been go been going on for for longer uh, within within this industry. It they'll have accelerated it, no doubt, right? They'll have they'll have made people aware about what shippers want or what, what their customers want, because that's where it comes down to at the end of the day. You're serving those customers, your customer or uh, oriented business. So. The difference that they're going to make is in the, in the service and the service level that they can provide. And, and you know, some customers have seen, or some people have seen the light and said, "Well, you know, they, they, they will have looked at Flexport and maybe even worked with them because there's tons of orders that do." And said, "Well, this is great. You know, I didn't realize we need to go this way." Others will have said, "Well, you know, they're a real threat to our business, right? They're taking customers away or whatever it may be, and, and it may just be perception, right? Because that's yeah, a lot of yeah, that's as well." A good point, and so Gary, I'll ask you this, and and again, I think I think I know the answer is, you know, not so long ago there was guys like the 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 digital guys who were coming to disrupt the industry who looked at us as backwards rubes, right? And then then there was the operators, the guy who guys who understood the business, and I feel like they both bring good in this, but at some point we're going to have to be that tech is going to have to be part of our operational best practice, right? I mean, at some point, we're not going to be techies or operators. We're going to be both. Am I right to say that? <laughs> uh, you know, and I, I think what we have at Magaya is that blend of, of technology and operators. I mean, our, our founders came from, from freight forwarding and logistics. Martin, he's now our CTO. I think you mentioned it, Martin. You started doing this when you were 15 years old. And you're not as young as you look, by the way. But So you've been doing this for many years. So a ton of experience. And I think... Joe, that, that kind of bridges that that what I think is a gap out there where technologists are, are having startups and making startups and they're they're going to go solve a you know a single thread solution or maybe a couple a couple threads and and, um, and problems they see and and um, but what they lack is is 
is is the operational background, let's say, that they can bridge what, what we feel Magaya has with operational expertise and best practice along with technology that, that, that puts it all together. Yeah. Yeah. And and again, I don't think we I don't think anyone would argue that we've the the improvements in our space in the last twenty years have all been almost all via tech. And I and I also nope, not ever gonna put down any of the technologists, but again we also need the operators. And I think say sometimes I interview a lot of people on my podcast and we talk about technology and one of the things I've noted is as I went to a conference, I went to Manifest the other day and it was fantastic. And I was on a panel, and to hear top shippers talk about what they're doing, you go, "Oh, wait, it's not all all happening with magic technology." Like I, like I forgot. I talked to the people on the cutting edge, people like yourself, and after a while, you begin to think this is the way the world's working. But when you walk out into the world, you find out that that's not necessarily true. <laughs> so, I want to wrap this bad boy up. So. Final thoughts on digital freight forwarding. Martin, you go first, then Gary. It's here to stay, and, and I don't think it's something that, you know, we're going to turn around or turn back on, right? It, and I, by the way, I prefer the term digitized freight forwarding, right? Because I feel very strongly about it's still needing those operators. It's still needing those people, right? They're important to our business. There's an immense amount of knowledge that exists within them. And well, if you want to do something, which, which I'm a firm believer in, in terms of business processes, it's managed by exception. Because this industry, every shipment is its own special snowflake, right? Everything has something that's just a little bit different, or most cases, not, not exactly everything. And so you want to have people that can react to those exceptions, because that's where engineers like I can standardize the software. We build for you know the vast majority of the, of the cases, 80-90%. Those other 10% still need people to, to take a look, make sure everything's going well, and get that sorted. Yep. So final thoughts, Gary? Yeah, I, I agree with everything Martin just said. I, I'd add that, you know, as we look at the overall freight forwarding industry, it continues to grow. It's resilient. We made it through the pandemic, very little downturn. We saw container rates go through the roof, you know, tens of thousands of dollars for a container that now costs $1,200, right, to ship from point A to point B. So, you know, we're seeing those fluctuations. We're, we're watching the global economy closely. But I can tell you from the 2,400 customers we have, we lost very few of them in 2020. This is a resilient industry. Great forwarders are always going to be there. And Joe, you mentioned it, whether it's China that we're shipping the majority of goods from and to, mainly from, or whether it's Germany or whether it's someplace else that's, that's going to you know, step up in the, in, in the we're realm. We're going to need it. Yeah, we're going to need it. It's going to be here forever. And, and the, the, the vision by the analysts for the growth of our sector over the next 10 years is, is massive. So we think we're positioned in the right, in the right space at the right time. Yeah, that's so. It, it is so crazy. Now, I'm I'm a big believer that a lot of stuff is going to move back from Asia and Europe to the to North America for people who are listening in North America. So that nearshoring, but I'm also know that it took decades to move stuff overseas. And maybe we say, oh, okay, for security reasons or environmental reasons, or it's no longer cost effective maybe to be in China. We're going to move that back, but it's not going to happen overnight. So we are going to need freight forwarding for that for a good long time. I mean, I, I told somebody, a friend of mine, said I went to school in the 80s and then 90s, and they talked about globalization, and they would always talk about it. I was like, 
Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. Everyone is getting international business degrees, but no one was doing any business overseas. And my kids asked me one time, why don't you speak Spanish? And I said, because we didn't do business with people in Mexico when I was a kid. I mean, it was very small. I would have never thought to do it. Now it seems like, God, what an idiot I was. Well, it was just not the norm. So, so when we talk about nearshoring, I think we have to think in terms of decades, not years. And the easy stuff will move back <laughs> overnight. The hard stuff is decades. So anyway, before we go, I'll ask you this first, um, Martin. Uh, how do we reach out and talk to you guys? What's the best way to get to a hold of you guys? And then, Gary, I'm going to ask you about conferences. So, Martin, how do we reach out and talk to Magaya? Yeah, our website is magaya.com. And then people can reach out to, to us there and chat with, with our support and, and uh, marketing operators. But we're also on social media, LinkedIn, Twitter, and, uh, and all that stuff. So that's probably, uh, but the best the best way to get a hold of us is probably through our website. Yep. What I'll do is I'll put a link uh, to your LinkedIn profile and also Gary's LinkedIn profile and uh, put a link to anything your marketing team gives me. I'll put those in the show notes. And so, Gary, what, what conferences will we see Magaya at this year? We were just at Manifest. We were at WCA in Singapore. Oh, I didn't see you there. Yeah, we, we saw a lot of people there. I didn't see you either. We were at TPM and so, TPM and SoCal last week. Next up, I think we're going to be at Transport Logistics in Munich in May. We're going to be at Break Bulk Europe in Rotterdam, Martin's hometown, in June. And then past that, I think we have a couple things in the fall. But um, uh, Transport Logistics and Break Bulk are the next big ones for us. All right. So what I'll do is I'll put a link to all your LinkedIn LinkedIn profiles. I'll just put a link to again all the all the social media stuff you give me, and also to your website. And um, I really appreciate you guys coming on the podcast. It's it's it's. I'll tell you, it feels to me like digital freight forwarding is catching up. I mean, freight forwarding is catching up what we've done over the road. Over the road was e- easy relative to freight forwarding. But it seems like you guys have caught up on all the stuff that we've been touting about over the road. It seems like we've done that now. We agree. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thank you guys so much. And also, thank you so much for listening to my podcast. Your support's very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. You have been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage with leaders in the logistics and supply chain community. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, hit the like button, and leave us a nice review on Apple or Spotify or wherever else you listen. Also, please check out our videos on YouTube and connect with us on LinkedIn. We're very big on LinkedIn. And you can also reach us on the logisticsoflogistics.com, our website.